everyone. Hope you've had a great week. Thanks for tuning into our podcast and hope it encourages you, inspires you as you go about your week. Here's today's message. Amen. Thank you, Jongin. Good morning, everyone. Take a seat, please. And good morning to all our friends out there online. Great to see you. Hey, really good to see you. I, I just thought before we even look at God's word, that, that reminded me. So we just sung... Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. So that's an old, old hymn. It'd be interesting to find out when that was written. Most of these hymns are written, like, at best in the sort of the earliest, early 20th century. So I'm not sure about that one. But, like, so, so don't, like, there's, there's nothing to be worried about. Who, like, when we sing Blessed Assurance, just put your hand up if you, if, if you know that hymn. Like, let's get a show of hands. So, and look around, everyone. So that's, that's most people. Put your hand up if you don't know that hymn. Not... Oh, okay. I thought there'd be more that don't know. Um, I didn't know. All right. Now, okay. All right. Now, Jongin, this is this is not going to be a comment about you, okay? Because you, you chose that hymn. I, like, hey, I'm I'm all on board with you having that hymn. I think that's great. What I want to know is when we sing that hymn, and you can be entirely honest here, all friends. All right? Please do be entirely honest. You know, who likes that hymn? Uh, okay, most. And and you can be honest. Who doesn't like the hymn? There's a few. There's a few. Again, I thought there'd be more. Here's what I want to say. This week, I was. Uh, I spent. Um, I, I, I went Monday morning. Took my day off on Monday. I went up so I could see Jake and Tammy, my son and his wife in Brisbane. Spent the day with them. Stayed overnight with them. Tuesday morning, Jake drove me down to Helensvale, which is at the top of the Gold Coast. And for the next three days, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I was at the National Baptist Senior Pastors Gathering. And there, there was quite some talk, you know, on the, the Tuesday night when we had the dinner, um, there's quite some talk there about, because this gathering has been happening for a few years, the first time I've ever been to it. Uh, I've always said no to it before, but this time I went. And there's quite some talk about, should this just be for senior pastors? And this year, campus pastors could go as well. So if you're part of a bigger church network and you're a campus pastor, then they could go as well. Should it just be for senior pastors, or could we also include the, the, the senior pastors who are now retiring? You know, there was, a couple of, there was one guy there who's been there right from the beginning, and he's retiring and handing over the church to the next senior pastor. Should it be for those who are retiring? So you know the word like emeritus or emeritus, pastors who are, they're not actually the senior pastor anymore, but they're still... And the overwhelming thought in the room was, yes, we want these people. We want these people to still keep coming. And some of them resisted. They say, no, 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 once I'm retired, this is not the place for me. But what I want to say, and I feel really important to say this, that's why I thank you that we did sing that hymn, John. I I think it's good, right? Um, we We need to always be learning, friends. And one of the primary ways that God has set up for us to learn is to look to our elders, and look to history, and not necessarily to be ruled by traditionalism, but to look to tradition. And we learn so much through this. And I'll just finish reading through Proverbs in the Bible. Proverbs is full of language. I think it's in every chapter of Proverbs just about the, the contrast between fools and the wise. And the wise are people who keep on learning, and they don't say, oh, this is an old hymn. 
they look at it and they think this is an old hymn. It uses language a bit different to what we use these days, but it is as rich as rich can be with meaning. So, sermon number one. Now we'll go to sermon number two. Hey, you want to do that? Let's pray and we'll take a look at God's word for money mission matters uh, for this week. Lord, thanks, um, thanks so much for the, the month that we've had here um, for May. We've, um, we've heard about all the missionaries who we support. Um, Lord, we've, we thank you that as a church we can, we can release that money, a bit over $100,000 this year, to be able to say, let's, let's really help the Josies of this world to do the work that she's doing there with Consider the Lily in Manila. Let's help her. And Lord, we know that you call us to do that. So thanks that we've been able to concentrate on that. Lord, we recognise at the moment, we recognise this time of challenge in our church and part of the challenge is our financial challenge too. Lord, we know that the cost of living and interest rates and petrol prices and just, just the cost of our, our gas and electricity and everything, everything is squeezing our finances so much more. And so it makes sense that in that environment we would give less to the church because Lord we have to prioritize and to survive so we 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 get that and we all none of us judge each other for for that because we understand that it makes sense and yet Lord we, we we know and we've been hearing that you've got a different way of looking at it you've got a very different way of looking at it and so Lord we we're trying to tie together our money mission matters So we trust you here today to speak to us. Holy Spirit, please would you speak to us and tell us what you want us to hear. And and I pray, Lord, we pray together that we just just have hearts that that are open to hear that. We can make up our minds later whether we, or how we respond to it, if we respond at all. But for now, would you help us just to have hearts that would be open to hear it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, if you were here, we talked a bit about feeling squidgy, squirmy, when Jesus makes big asks. Remember that? The big, big asks that Jesus seems to make of us, (laughs) the ones that can make us feel a bit squeamish. Well, speaking of squidginess, This is in Paderborn, Germany. (laughs) An overzealous, excuse me, overzealous zookeeper, his name is Friedrich (laughs) Riesfeldt. He had a constipated elephant. The elephant's name is Stefan. And so Friedrich got a bit impatient trying to treat Stefan. He fed him 22 doses of an animal laxative. And he also gave him a bushel of berries, figs and prunes. And you can guess what happened. Um, Investigators said that Friedrich, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) that Friedrich is 46 years old. Um, He was attempting to give the ailing elephant an olive oil enema when, (laughs) and that's when everything happened. The relieved relieved beast and so he was right in the wrong part of the elephant 
Um, flabbergasted police detective Eric Dern made this statement, and this is a statement, I quote. He said, the sheer force of the elephant's unexpected defecation knocked Mr. Roosevelt to the ground where he struck his head on a rock and lay unconscious as the elephant continued to evacuate his bowels on top of him. With no one there to help him, he lay under all that dung for at least one hour before a watchman came along and found him. Whoa! Hey, you know what? Um, big animals, especially a big animal like an elephant, they make big mess. They make mighty big messes. And it's always been that way. Never different. Ancient wisdom literature picks up on it too. It's in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4. And it says in the New Living Translation there, without oxen, a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. Dilemma, he says. You can build a nice, clean barn or stable. It can be wonderfully designed and it can look beautifully clean and pristine and it smells really nice too. Fresh hay. And even in the winter, the morning northerly sun shining in. And then there's a yard attached to the barn and it's fenced. And there's an old world look to it, even though it was constructed yesterday. And then after you've admired your nice clean barn for a bit, you get to remembering why you built the stable. <laughs> it was because you needed to put an ox in there. Because if there's no oxen in the stable, as long as it's new or even, it's, even if it's a bit older, as long as you've, you've swept it out and cleaned it up, then the stable, I can guarantee you, it'll be neat and clean and tidy. It will be, most of importantly, under control and it'll be risk-free. It'll take very little maintenance too. It will be safe. But there's a downside. And it's a major downside because the stable will be clean, but there won't be any harvest. Because if you want to have a harvest... You need to have at least one ox, if not a whole lot more. A team of oxen. <coughs> Excuse me. And even one ox, even just one, it needs somewhere to sleep at night. And he needs somewhere to, to eat his dinner. And that's, that, that's where it gets squidgy because the oxen ain't stable trained. When he needs to go... He'll go. And if he needs to go more than once each night, he'll go more than once. You get the dilemma, don't you? If you want to have a harvest, you cannot have, you cannot have a nice, clean, comfortable, tidy, under control, low maintenance, minimal risk, safe barn. The only way to get the harvest is to have a lived-in stable. William Carey, who we often call the father of the modern missionary movement, 
He blazed the trail to India and endured incredible odds and hassles and dirtiness and risk and grief and stepping out into the unknown. Like that, that, that would leave anything we've experienced minimized. He said, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Now, we saw it these last three Sundays in Money Mission Matters that Jesus, Jesus is absolutely not after your money. Jesus, Jesus is not asking you for your money. What we saw is that he is asking and he wants, he's asking for and he wants your heart. And when he said, remember we looked at this a couple of weeks ago, when he said that we ought to pray, <coughs> excuse me, give us this day our daily bread. You've heard that before, haven't you? We've learned that he was promising when he asked us to pray that, to provide all our needs, but with a really big purpose in mind, to provide all our needs so that we can take part in his mission. Because that was the earlier part of the prayer that he told us to pray. Before we ask for him to give us our daily bread, he wants us to ask, hey, would your kingdom come? Would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Thank you, Tash. Tash, how would you feel about going to refill it? Thanks. I've just, my throat's just... Tash, you're a... Put it. Adam, you get to be married to that lady, and so she read my mind. She just was like, Jeff needs a drink, doesn't he? How's that? What a, what a treasure on your Tash. Yeah, sorry, folks. I've just got a little bit of a tickle in the throat. Um, back onto this now. Remember Jesus, when he gave that model prayer, um, it started out with, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. After that, give us, plural, this day our daily bread. God meets our needs so that we can be part of his kingdom bringing work. Just like all the people, on your Tash, thanks, Um, just like all the people who were working on the church building site, we talked about last week, back in 1992. Was anyone here that day in 1992? Anyone here that's... What month? What, hey? I was born 92, so it depends what month it was. Well, it was a long weekend. I think it was March. Just so Emmy, Emmy, you were here that day. That is Emmy. Yeah, that's Emmy. Put anyone else? And Cheryl, Leanne, were you? No, you weren't. No, no. Oh, you were pointing to Cheryl. And Murray would have been here, wouldn't he, Cheryl? Yeah. Okay. So the three of us. Wow. We, we talked about that last week. That that side of the building went up. You know, pretty much the lock-up stage in in a long weekend. Um, work all day. Smoko, I don't, well, maybe not Smoko, but morning tea, lunchtime. And there's this whole bunch of people coordinated by, by Joy Draper um, making food. Like, and and their, their job was to meet the physical needs of the workers. 
Remember, we looked at this last week. It's just a, it's a very poor quality photo, but it's a page out of the little book that was written, and that's actually the part that was written by Joy Draper. Like, like to meet the needs of the people so they can do what they need to do. So we've been... I'll just... That's going to help. That's going to help. Right. Um, we've been reminded, haven't we, these last few weeks that Jesus, we all acknowledge, Jesus makes some big, big asks of us. And last week then, we stepped into some pretty uncomfortable territory, and it was uncomfortable for all of us, me too. Incredibly challenging, in your face. And we called a spade a spade, and, and we said last week that for all the good things that have happened around this church last week, in the last 15 years or so, and we named some of them, some of them. We had them up on the screen. Like really good things. As we've been talking about being a church more of a radically prayerful church, overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit, we said last week that we haven't gotten there yet. Remember, like if, if you were explaining Mill Park Baptist Church to someone else, if people were talking about Mill Park Baptist Church elsewhere, w- would they explain that, man, that church, it, oh, it's a radically prayerful church. They, those people just want to pray. And I think we agreed, well, no, that's not really the way that you describe our church. Um, and in particular, we said, when we have a corporate prayer time, when we say, let's as to quote Adam earlier, and to quote me from earlier than that, let's drop everything and pray. We wouldn't have as many people who would come to pray as we would have here now. We never have had while I've been here. So corporate prayer, when we get together as the family of God, young and old and all, all sorts of persuasions, and people you know, like, like both genders, we get together and we pray. We raised a squidgy question about that. Just a squidgy question about that last week. And we said, could these words that we're about to read, could these words apply to me? Like, could these words even apply to our church when it comes to prayer? Too? This is Jesus talking to the church in Laodicea. It's in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. I know all the things you do, he said. I know all the things you do do. Like, I know about your youth ministry. I know about your mission support group. I know about your chat group. I know the things that have happened there in the past. I know that you built that building in 1992 and I know there was incredible vision to put this place together and to, and to pay for this place. And I, know, I, I know all that. But I know that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since... You are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold. I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are actually wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, we asked that question last week and said, could those words, like Jeff, could those words apply to me? Could they apply to us as a church, especially when it comes to our prayer? 
and finances, we said. So in rubber meets roads terms, our offerings. It's amazing how often I talk to people, um, especially, say, you know, outside of the church, in my chaplaincy work at, at Richmond and other places, and people always just assume that as a church, what we do is we get grants from the government and the Baptist Union of Victoria head office, they send us money each month. And, well, in actual fact, we send them money each year. We don't, we, like, we don't get money from somewhere else. We get a bit of money from people who hire our building, but it's not that much in the scheme of things. Almost all the money that we get on which to operate, we give, all of us. And so we looked at finances and we said, well, you know, finances, and they go hand in hand with prayer. I can remember, it was years ago now in this church, we've had several times where we've taken on scary, scary budget increases, you know, when we're heading into the next financial year or into the next, for us it's the next calendar year. And like I'll always know about that before we're making it public and sometimes I've just been absolutely like, like to be honest, like I might be brave looking on the outside, but internally terrified. How can we do this? And I can remember a really clear experience for me one day, and I shared it with the leadership, I shared it with the church. Um, and it was as clear, it was one of those experiences for me where God may, may as well have been sitting right beside me there on the couch and just talking to me like I'm talking to you now. It was as clear as could be. We were heading into a really scary budget increase. I was really stressed about it, I was worried. And he said to me, to the extent that you pray, I will meet this budget. Can you guess what happened? He met it. You see, the objective of a church, any church at all, big, small, conservative, liberal, <laughs> Pentecostal, charismatic, Traditional, liturgical. The objective from God's word of any church is not overly complicated. Look at this. You'll probably know this verse. Psalm 46, verse 10. You know this part, don't you? Be still and know that I am God. You've heard that before, I bet. But there's more in that verse than just be still and know that I'm God. He says, you guys, be still. Put the bucket down. Stop working. Put the bucket down. Be still. Cease striving. Know that I am God. Here's why. I will be honoured by every nation. I will be honoured throughout the world. I'll be honoured by every nation. Every nation throughout the world. That's, that's just under 8 billion people on today's count. Just over. Oh, oh Tash. So you're good at getting drinks. And you know the figures. I looked it up and it was 7.88 billion. So maybe that's the wrong figure. Anyway, oh, okay. Just over 8 billion people. We, we, could, we, could, we could just pacify everyone. It's around 8 billion people, you know. Around 8 billion people. Um, now, the church's job... Simple, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There it is. Like, 
the worker's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. And Jesus' words then, you cannot, you cannot, I cannot. There's no way on earth that you can serve both God and mammon, the spirit of mammon. You will have to choose which one will be your master. And if you tie all of that together, my friend, God surely is making some pretty big asks of you and of me today. Really big asks. Now take a look at these photos as I talk. These are of post-tsunami Japan. In the wake of the devastating 2011 tsunami that hit Japan. Look at them. 28,000 people dead or missing. Look at the destruction. There's not just loss of life, but there's this inestimable, massive physical mayhem. Now, pretty soon, after a disaster like this, the tsunami, that's over. That's done. But now's when the job starts. Now's when the oxen comes out of the stable. Now, in the world's terms, now, like when the job needs to be done, that's in the world's terms when the church wakes up, yawns, stretches, looks outside, sees the incredible need of the world around about and says, enough! Enough! Because, because we know that the world needs Jesus. There's a church on just about every corner here in Melbourne. And we're not even in the Bible Belt here. You go over into the eastern suburbs, we call that the Bible Belt of Melbourne. You go to Canada and you go to, to Deb, my wife's hometown, Elmira. And it's a little town. It's grown a bit in the last few years. I imagine it's 10,000 people in the town. And you know, just in Deb's home church alone, Woodside Bible Chapel, and that's just one of the churches in town. Easily, easily 500, 600 people in church on Sunday morning. Massive big church, and that's only one of several churches in town. That's a Bible belt. But do you know, do you remember that we've got at least one third, over one third of our world's population as I stand here this morning and talk to you, and, and they live in places, and they're not all just in really poor little villages. Some of them are in cities. And that just over one-third of the world's population have never, ever heard of the name of Jesus or the concept of Jesus. They don't have access to a Bible in their language. If we went in there today and talked about Jesus, they would look at us with big white eyes and say, what's that? No idea at all, and they never will have any idea about it. They'll never hear the name of Jesus. Never. They'll die without hearing the name of Jesus unless something changes. And you and I know that for that thing to change, it will involve, I'll tell you right now, you don't have to be a scholar to know this, it will involve people like us saying, nah, enough, I'm going. I'm going. It'll involve people going, and then people going will cost money. 
Let's recognize that every single religious awakening and revival in history, we saw this last week, it's clear the facts are there. Like no one would argue with this. No historian would argue. Every single revival in history for you know this, this religious awakening, this looking to Jesus, it's always been preceded and then sustained by extraordinary radical movements of prayer, not just a, not just a, a fledgling one. So imagine then if the church was to yawn and stretch and to say enough, enough prayerless churches, enough apathy and lethargy and indifference, enough excuses, enough, enough preoccupation with all manner of things. Then the heart that Jesus is after and the prayer that he asks for. It's time to get the oxen out of the stable. Time to wake up and smell the coffee. Like to know that if, we got, if we've got an oxen, the stable is going to be untidy. And clean stables are nice. They smell okay. And we all like feeling in control and safe. In fact, you could even sit down in your lunch in a nice clean, and eat your lunch in a nice clean stable, couldn't you? Comfortable, secure, anything but stressful. That's not stressful. <coughs> But there's one small problem, and maybe it's not so small, and that is that if you have a nice, clean stable, there is no harvest. If you want a harvest, you need to have an ox, and the ox needs a place to rest and sleep. And the ox will make a mess. End result, if you want a harvest, you need to prepare for discomfort, for stressful challenges. You need to prepare for stubborn oxen. And depending on you, like if you're really sensing, I need to prepare for nose pegs or extra cleaning duties. You know what? Churches, just like our church, like churches can be nice, safe places. Really nice. Really comfortable. Cozy. Even risk-free. But there won't be any harvest. When I was away this week, I had several conversations. The highlight of the week for me was several conversations with other senior pastors, some of whom I already knew, some I hadn't met before. And how common the story was. I won't name this, the, the actual place. It's not, not in Victoria. I won't name the place just because we're online. Um, but there was a pastor who I met there, never met him before, and he's a pastor of a, a regional place in Australia um, and has a hub of churches from that. And when he first came to this, this place, and you, you would all know the place if I mentioned it. When he first came to this place, um, there's a, a family that had been in the church since the beginning. And you know what they did? They wrote a leaflet about this guy and said how bad he was. And they letterbox dropped 50,000 houses in that area. I spoke to another pastor who I do know from Melbourne, won't say the church, and they've been approached by a smaller church, approached, they didn't make the approach, approached by a smaller church that's, that's getting smaller and smaller and said, listen, could you, could you basically take us on and annex us as one of your campuses? So this church is like, yeah, well, we're prepared to look at that. This pastor now facing this incredibly personal attack on him 
because, hey, we don't want that. Like there's a group of people, just a very small group of people in this church. We don't want that to happen. We, we don't want our church. We don't want to have a campus from there. It's only a couple of suburbs away. And, so, and I said, so is it personal? He said, oh, yeah, it's personal. You see, we, we like staying safe. Like I do. We all do. But when we stay safe, there's no harvest. Now, make no mistake about it, friends. If we really want to do here in Mill Park Baptist Church, if we really want to do our job as a church, if we want to see people's lives being changed by Jesus, it will take continued hard work. It will. And lots of risk, lots of potential concerns, lots of worries. It'll take a dogged effort to keep on turning the conversation outward and not inward. And it will be a bit messy and noisy and smelly. And it will take our hearts and it will take our prayer. Now you think back to Japan here, my friends. Simple, straightforward objective after the tsunami, isn't it? Like two words, clean up. And yet that straightforward objective, clean up, easy. But it represents this massively profound, expensive, complex, overwhelmingly challenging task, doesn't it? See what I mean? Like really simple task to describe, but to do it. Maybe something like the challenge we've got as people, us Jesus people here on planet Earth, and us Jesus people here in Mill Park Baptist Church. You see, look at this. Here's Jesus. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people. So he goes into the temple, buying the, the people there, they're buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. You probably may have heard that story before. You quickly find out that Jesus was not averse to money or to taxes or to people buying and selling, and he was not opposed to the sacrificial system that this selling of doves was propping up. And and look, he didn't just evict the sellers anyway. Like if he was, he didn't just throw the sellers out, he threw the buyers out too. He wasn't against any of those things, but, but he was saying that this wasn't the main thing, the plain thing, the main thing of the temple. This wasn't what the temple was there for. And nor might a lot of things that the church does today necessarily be what it's there for. So, so easy to get off track. So, so easy to take our eyes off the main thing. You see, Jesus knocked over the tables, stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. And as he did that, here's what he said. The scriptures declare it in Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7 in the Old Testament. It says, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Remember that little phrase? You can find it throughout your Bible, start to finish. Simple, straightforward objective, clean up after the tsunami, use the oxen to plow the field, the objective, get the good news of Jesus to every nation, every ethnic group, every people group, every language group on the face of the earth. Work to help bring about God's kingdom and God's will here on earth now. Simple, straightforward objective, but overwhelmingly challenging and expensive and profoundly difficult task. Maybe even seemingly impossible. My temple... My Mill Park Baptist Church will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. And then he uses from Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 11 in the Old Testament as a statement, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. This church 
this church here, if it's to be genuinely a place that is helping to bring God's kingdom to earth, that's helping God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, you know what? It has no choice at all but to be a house of prayer for all the nations. And when you're a house of prayer for all the nations, the way Jesus mentioned, when you're a house of prayer for all the nations, you don't have a whole lot of time or energy or resource or motivation to do much else. When we're together tonight to pray, and I, I, really, hope, I, I really hope that you're planning to come. I know, it'll be cold, you'd like to stay home. But when we're together tonight to pray, you know, like, we, we won't be talking about stuff together. We'll just be, just be praying, and especially praying for our church's witness to all the nations. Not just in our community, but in our world. And, friends, we're not going to have a nice, clean barn if we really want to help bring God's kingdom to earth. It's going to get messy sometimes. Really messy. It's risky. It's smelly. Like, it's not for the faint-hearted. It's hard work. It's an almighty battle. But if you want to harvest, <laughs> you have to tolerate a dirty stable. Wow. As I look back over the last few years, those really good years that we reflected on last week, and, and then, then we, and we've, we named it, our, our last 12 or so months, which... I said last week, probably have been the most painful and difficult and confusing year in the history of this church. And it affects and impacts so many people in different ways. You know, friends, in that environment, right through my time here at this church, it's 17 and a half years now, I can think back to right, right over that time, like lots and lots and lots and lots of people asking questions, making suggestions, giving feedback, um, passionately expressing opinions, emails, texts, phone calls, face-to-face. But you know what? The volume and the depth and the passion and the fervency of what I have heard, what I've seen, what I've read in emails and texts and phone calls, if you add all of that up, it would easily outweigh at least 50 to 1 at least everything that I've ever heard or seen or felt in this church when it comes to prayer for our community and our world do you get what I'm saying what's on our lips what are we talking about and even though we really have broken the barrier this year, our giving to mission, as Adam mentioned, it, it exceeds $100,000. It's the first time in our history. It's, it's gone up, 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 up every year. We know, like we know our prayer and our finances go hand in hand. And so right now, yeah, it's true, like we are. We're struggling in our finances. And I would suggest we're probably struggling a bit in our prayer too. And that's one of the key reasons for tonight's Drop Everything and Pray gathering. 
So Jesus said, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. In other words, what Jesus said is the big deal in my house. Like a church that's in line with what I want it to be. The big deal will be that people are so, listen carefully, so desirous of my kingdom coming that they will be putting their prayer together for the nations of the world at the top of the priority list. Way above Way above other programs, involvements, debates, issues. House of prayer for all the nations. And just like post-tsunami Japan, the objective is simple, and yet it's profound. The objective, just a reminder, it's reaching the nations, and it really is the nations. Typically speaking, that's the Greek word ethnos, and it means every ethnic group, every people group. So reaching the nations, and you see that? The objective is reaching the nations. It's not just reaching our community. It's not. Every church's job, reaching the nations, not just our community, with the good news of Jesus. And even though there are other things that can speak powerfully into that objective, there are two big ones and they're ones that we can't ignore. And that's why here for the month of May, we've tried to look at them in money, mission matters. The two big ones, it's not money, it's people's hearts and prayer people's hearts and prayer because Jesus made it clear he said where your treasure is there your heart will be also in other words if your money if your money is illogically and generously and counterculturally and sacrificially and intentionally and repeatedly and consistently invested in the things of God's kingdom then you can bet your heart will be too And if people are showing and making incredible sacrifices so they can pray together. Other issues, you know what, they they just automatically get minimised, way minimised in their importance and their influence and their effect. Prayer becomes the big deal and the main thing is the main thing. And, And if you put people's hearts together with people moving heaven and earth to pray together, I tell you what, friends, Any church where that's happening will be taking ground for God's kingdom. Do you believe that? Friends, that's God's objective. And that's always mission. It will be. It will be like like a messy, smelly stable. There will be some risk. There will be, be, be uncertainty and stepping out. And we won't always feel nicely in control and safe and secure and comfortable and risk free. That's why Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And when you're doing that, he will give you everything you need. Look at it from the message translation. It's Jesus speaking. He said, if God gives such attention to the appearance of wildflowers, I mean, most of which... They're never seen. Don't you think he'll attend to you? Take pride in you? Do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here, Jesus says, is to get you to relax. Not to be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works, they fuss over these things. 
But you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. That's not a Sunday school fairy tale myth, friends. It's true. It's true, true, true. God will give you everything you need and he will give our church everything it needs. And when we say everything, it's categorical. It's everything. God will give you everything you need. God will give us everything we need for you to do, for us to do what he asks of us. He really, really will. He who calls you, Paul says in one of his letters, he who calls you is faithful. He'll do it. He'll surely do it. So to wrap it up, you know, it's been a a great month here in May. Money Mission Matters. The Spirit has done all sorts of things. Um, Different people here this month. And I, I don't even know them all. I just know the ones that people have told me about. I mean, I don't want to try and preempt anything else that he does want to do. But at the same time as we tie up, let's just, just get a few really practical suggestions, ways in which you could say, hey, in my life, I'm seeking the kingdom of God above everything else. What could I do? It might be for you going back to the very first week of, well, you recognize and renounce the spirit of mammon at work in your life. Remember that? It might be for you too. Usually, when we spend a little while talking about these things in church, usually I'll have at least one person say to me, hey, as a result of that, you know, I never used to tithe before, that biblical word, I'm starting now. Or it, or it might also be, hey, I, I realise I'd stop tithing. <laughs> had someone come to me once and said, I realised my wife and I hadn't reviewed our tithing for years and years and years. We we're still tithing on what I used to get paid 10 years ago. So it might be for you to start or to revive or to renew the ancient path of tithing. You want to hear exciting stories, friends? You just, you just keep your ear to the ground for people who tell stories of what God does in their life when they prioritise that ancient path of tithing. You, you, they'll be some of the most exciting stories you will ever hear. Um. You could talk to Jesus about trust. Especially now in this day and age, just trust that he, that he will meet all of your needs as you serve his kingdom. That if you say, I'm going to serve your kingdom above all else and that's the top priority, just to trust that then that means he will meet your needs. You could decide to, to help usher in a radical prayer movement at Mill Park Baptist Church. You know, just to remind, I thought I'd give you this. I haven't been able to get the actual proper figure exactly, but see this. So at Mill Park Baps, um, 15% of our total budget for our church um, is what we give to missions. Do you know that in 2013, when we first started really looking 
at this as a church. That's what we used to give back then as a church, $46,485. That's exact. I just haven't found the exact figure. It's actually, I've put $104,000 there. It's $103,000 something. Um, I just couldn't get the exact figure. But, but like, it's it definitely $103,000 something. Like, how, like look at, can you look at that? So in 10 years, look at, look at how much it's gone up. How good's that? Um, we, we, want it, we want to keep doing this, friends. Would you pray with me? Why don't, why don't you just pray with me and... And I just want to give some time before we, we're going to sing and worship as we sing together. Before we do that, just, just some time for the Holy Spirit to work. Holy Spirit, we, we ask you especially now just for... Your gracious, insightful, transformative work in our lives. I'm asking you and trusting you now. Spirit, Holy Spirit, Spirit of the living God, the Spirit of the Trinity of God. I'm I'm asking you, I'm I'm inviting you, I'm asking you please sweep through, sweep through. Speak into our hearts and and I love the way, Holy Spirit, that you you can speak whatever you want to any one of us. So we just trust you to do that now as we take a few minutes to listen.